This is Trade Scope, the podcast on trade promotion and revenue growth management. Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Trade Scope podcast, where we break down and deep dive into the key issues, concerns, and problems around trade channel promotion, revenue growth management, and retail execution. Today, let's take on a growing topic of interest among all consumer products companies change management. Now, I'm not going to give you a long song and dance about the philosophy, character, nature of classical change management, because I don't think there is just one. But I do want to focus on change management, or at least how we may define change from a perspective of trade promotion and channel incentive management and execution. You know, it's coming on to summertime. It's getting hot. And along with the spring rains, emerging gardens and flowers, and the planning of summer vacation, It's also a time when consumer products companies are most likely to be in the process of implementing new technology to manage their trade promotions and execution. Since I've been deeply involved with these projects all of my professional career, I thought it timely and appropriate to make a few observations about some of the more critical problems that tend to emerge from the work being done and some recommendations that might mitigate the risks facing the teams engaged in the process. It would be a major understatement to say that new trade promotion, co-op fund, or marketing development incentive technology will change the way things are done. So let's dive into the specific areas where attention is given to change and some places where you may not expect it to be, but can be a real nightmare to contend with. First, let's start with what I call mindset cultivation. Now, what the heck do I mean by that? Well, think of it. Your company has made a calculated decision that it is time to upgrade the technology of your trade channel promotion incentives management process. It may be a decision based on the need for more precise and trusted quality of performance analytics or more efficient planning processes or a reduction in time and cost of the day-to-day work your teams have to do to manage the programs or, as many CPG companies are doing, replacing mission-critical systems in IT to accommodate digital transformation. It could be all of those. Whatever the reason, and for whatever the scope, as Bob Dylan sings, the times they are a-changing. And for your team and extended stakeholders throughout the company, as well as your customers, especially your customers, you can go ahead and count on disruption on both process and output this change is going to bring. So mindset is a good word to describe the focus of your change management plan, isn't it? And no matter how solid the plan is or how great the change management consulting partner's experience is, you can't prepare for every scenario, every person's belief structure, everybody's feelings of comfort or discomfort that will be uncovered throughout the process. Believe me, I have seen situations where an entire technology and plan can get derailed because a trusted employee or team believes a change will be so disruptive that no technology or process will change the current operational status quo. But who likes change anyway? One of the toughest jobs I've had over the years is convincing a veteran team management executive that there is a better process and technology than what they have. One of the most difficult teams of people to convince is the IT organization, especially when they built the existing technology. They authored, created, and have maintained this technology for years, most likely, and they will, by their very nature, be guarded against any new technology that promises to make their lives better. Resistance may or may not be futile in this case. 
The same is true for key process manager of important areas like internal controls or settlement, trade marketing or sales finance. These people have honed their process to a sharp edge, training so many of their staffs and working hard to make sure that they have accommodated every possible scenario, issue, or problem faced across years of execution. Moving them to a different workflow or technology is, to them, nothing short of an invasion into their personal lives. Okay, so the good news is that in the end, usually, the new process and technology makes everyone's lives better. Now, I admit that's actually not always true, even with some of the most advanced TPM, TPO solutions we have on this planet. But I will also say that based on my direct experience and knowledge, in every case, without fail, a negative result of implementing new technology is for one or two reasons. Either the software does not do what it was claimed to do, or there was a failure in the early stages of planning to nail down the commitment to the ultimate process workflow and solution functionality. I would also say that the latter, the failure in planning, is the culprit in about 80% of the cases. My best guess, and you can bet a pretty good one. So what are we talking about here when we refer to these early stages of planning? For the purpose of this topic and this podcast, let's assume that a decision has already been made to purchase software from one of the TPM TPO vendors. The conversation around the most effective way to select a vendor is for another podcast later on. But for now, your company has agreed to implement a new TPM TPO software solution. Okay, five points here. Point number one, set the proper level of expectation. Now, come on. You and I both know that the decision process for modern technology is more often than not made above those who are charged with the responsibility for the ultimate long-term management of this new technology. This is especially true with trade promotion management and executive software purchases that handle the second largest line item in the company's financial statement. Hey, I'm not saying you have to bring every stakeholder across the corporate management process landscape into the decision to buy, but you should have your supervisory and management executives part of the process of the decision to select the vendor. That said, know this, there are always going to be more than a few people ultimately affected by the decision who will not only disagree with your decision, but may even resent the fact that they were not involved. And I can tell you, there are some real superstars on your teams handling mission critical areas like sales finance, internal controls, promotion planning, settlement and analytics, who will want to know why they did not have a say in the selection. I find that these very people can be your potential spanner in the works when conducting the pre-design and detailed design blueprint workshops. My recommendation would be to include these people in the original decision process so that they can not only be your cheerleaders with the so-called rank-and-file employees who carry out the bulk of the workflow and trade promotion planning, execution, and performance analysis, but they can lend the smartest, deep insight into how it really works. Have a workshop with all of the people engaged in every aspect of trade promotion management and execution. That will include headquarters sales, field management, field merchandising reps, financial accounting, marketing, especially marketing, IT, and of course, brokerage and distributor partners if they are involved. Tell them what is planned and tell them what to expect. Tell them why and how you made the decision on new technology and or vendors. Disruption will happen. Tell them and show them where and when. Give them some real examples and make this show and tell detailed enough so that they completely understand the level of effort to be expected. 
Walk them through the specific functions of the technology solution that sold them and you, and how will it improve the top, bottom, and lifelines of the company and its employees? Set their level of expectations on the timeline, expected personnel involvement, testing, and ongoing maintenance. Show them how and why their lives will be better once everything is live and operational, and remind them that success is going to depend on their full disclosure of input and output and the quality, accuracy, and comprehensiveness of each. There will be at least a half a day workshop involved in this, and even better, a full day. That level of dedication to their understanding will have a positive effect on each stakeholder and will clearly build a strong teamwork-oriented foundation for what is going to be a year or more of their lives. Point number two, confirm the process and scenarios up front. Now, don't take this wrong. It's not that the company does not understand its own processes, but if you spend time in the workshops drilling down deep into mapping of specific actions across the landscape of a normal workflow, you know you will hear people who have worked together for years argue about key functions and steps that make up each functional activity and integrate with whatever technology exists. It's a natural thing. And most companies have not done a current as-is process map with everyone's input and sign-off before. So for many of the stakeholders who are responsible for their portion of the workflow and output, seeing it all in one place is often confusing or at least eye-opening. New technology is invariably going to require modification in the workflow, the existing as-is process. But now here's the issue. Everyone may be fully in favor of new technology, for instance, getting rid of heavily manual spreadsheets, but may not totally agree to or may be resistant to the change in the way they work every day, right? So the first failure that can happen is the inability to nail down a consensus view and open approval of the change in the process that the new technology is going to bring by the very people who will now have to use that technology and application to do their jobs. The first order of business to ensure that you get your change mindset right is to gain a 100%, not less, 100% approval and acknowledgement from every single supervisor, manager, and executive with the responsibility for the process to be managed by the new technology. Create a future state to be process map and do it at at least a level four detail that aligns with the functionality of the new technology application. This is critical. Don't overlook this and make sure that your new technology vendor is part of this process. After all, they are going to need to sign off on that new process to ensure alignment with their solution, aren't they? Identify the scenarios you face, all of the business scenarios. What type of circumstance, environment, issues, problems, examples, and conditions that you deal with every day? I went to Major League Baseball umpiring school for several weeks, preparing for what I hope to be an opportunity to work as an alternate umpire in our local baseball AAA minor league franchise. During this training, we worked on the baseball field with real players and simulated every possible strange and wacky thing that can happen during a game to learn how to apply the rules, experience exceptions, and perform the physical mechanics of movement an umpire has to make to be in proper position to make the right calls. And we used a guideline, simulated conditions that were compiled for more than 70 years of baseball scenarios, first published in 1950 called The Naughty Problems of Baseball. 
Same thing here. Spend time in advance of the pre-designed workshops to identify, stage, and document all of the relevant scenarios that can happen in each of the major functional processes from the earning of the funds to the settlement of performance analytics. Have them ready to review because this is what you must have to test a new technology before going live. If you prioritize scenarios and identify exactly what you want and expect to happen, it makes the writing of the test scripts and the testing process itself go much smoother, ensuring comprehensive coverage of more than 95% of what can be expected to happen. This makes a huge difference. You can't get all of them, but you will be ahead of the game more so than you know. Point number three, conduct a vigorous pre-design workshop agenda. And most failures in the detailed design session come from a lack of effective coverage of this topic in the pre-design workshops. Now, that occurs after you've done the deal with the vendor and, and you, you've got everything set up. You have a timeline created and all this is ready to roll. This is the first major thing that occurs between all the teams. It is easy to minimize the discussions in the pre-designed to a higher level overview. But I assure you, if there is a gotcha in the timeline that can cause delays before a single line of code is written, it is here in this phase. Most consultants rightly contend that the more complex discussions and the higher levels of detail are going to come in the detailed design blueprint workshop phase. It is true. Here is where the technology teams and the functional teams split and deal with the nitty gritty of master data integration, hierarchical structures, specific rules and governance, promotion details and settlement functionality, to name a few, to be covered before the actual blueprint design documents can actually be developed. The importance of the pre-design workshop is to cover every topic to get at least an understanding of the basic flow of the process. See, here's where the 2B process needs to be addressed and the expectation of the new technology solution to understand how it all fits. Bear in mind, we're not talking about level four to six functional detail here, but at least the understanding of the function and the definition of terms. You don't have time for that in the detailed design workshops. The best way to define a successful pre-design phase is that there are no surprises when you get down and dirty into the detailed design specifications. Now, here's an example of what I mean. I had the honor and pleasure to work with an advisor to one of the top automotive aftermarket companies in the world, selling motor oil across virtually every type of channel reseller, auto parts stores, mass merchandisers, grocery stores, wholesaler distributors, lubrication installer chains, and even automotive repair shops. The software was full scope trade promotion management solution of one of the top TPX vendors that managed the full end-to-end -end process from funding to planning to settlement to performance analysis. During the pre-design phase, which was handled internally by the company and their systems integration consultant, neither the vendor nor myself were included in the workshops. When we sat down and began piecing together the functionality, rules, details, and requirements for planning and executing the promotions, it was learned that a huge group of the channel customers, namely the installer chains and the auto parts resellers, were going to be handled by a brokerage firm. There was no mention of this in the pre-design, and the software functionality for the TPM vendor was based on assuming the hierarchical levels included these channel customers in the planning. It was also learned that there was an expectation that the new TPM vendor would pass funding information to the broker so that they could allocate budget across to these customers. And none of this was known, and there was no discussions or plans by the TPM vendor on the level of work required to provide additional data files and integration to the brokerage firm's 
trade promotion system. That created an entire set of gaps in the functionality that required nearly four additional weeks of work, including meetings with the TPM vendor and the broker, who, by the way, competed with the vendor on numerous auto aftermarket TPM deals and created a crisis of intellectual property exchange that nearly killed the entire effort. I won't bore you with the eventual solution, but I can tell you that it was an ugly chewing gum and bailing wire rigging to the new TPM vendor's application. And quite honestly, a serious breach of accounting integrity involving the fund's management. All because this was not brought up in the pre-design. Point number four, make the detailed design blueprint workshops a full-time job. Can't stress this more. Really, I'm not exaggerating here. Remember a few minutes ago when I said that you had to set a level of expectation for the time commitment of the key stakeholders, executives, supervisors, and managers for the full implementation. Here is what I meant by that. You have to have your people with the most knowledge and experience assigned and committed to be available on a full-time basis, underlined full-time basis. Workshops have to be held with the standard of securing the ultimate and final achievement of the specific design, and this means giving full measure of time to each one. If you can only afford the time for a half-day workshop, it's a waste of time. You'll be doing this for months over and over and over again. I totally understand that these people are the most knowledgeable and experienced people you require in these workshops and that they also have day jobs. But there is nothing more frustrating than to hear some people say, I can't attend tomorrow because of whatever, and I have to be there. No, you have to be here doing this work, because if we don't get this right, not only is the implementation going to drag the timeline out into the hinterlands, but it is going to risk a high level of potential mistakes or omissions or worse, a complete misunderstanding of the functional requirements. And it's going to result in future chaos at best and a complete abandonment of the technology at worst. And don't think that hasn't happened. I can think of five of the top 20 CPG manufacturers to whom this has happened. So prepare your team by making sure you have the right people available as a priority. Their full day jobs until they are no longer needed on the project or the project is done. And if you want this to work, have their backups in position throughout the detailed design blueprint phase to respond and fulfill to any request short of a forced fire or a loss of a customer. And finally, point number five, make UAT a priority. UAT, user acceptance testing. Now, we all know what that is, but all too often the user is not representative of the real people who are going to be pounding on this new technology solution once it's declared live. Okay, this is a process that often changes from vendor to vendor and implementation partner to implementation partner. The user, that's not a one-person representative from the team. That needs to be the whole team. Look, you have the entire team in the workshops, right, for the most part? And during these critical workshops, the voices that chime in with one issue or another are a critical multitude of team members. Wh whomever raises an issue makes a point of a critical importance, or has the most seniority on the team, that's who you want testing. All of them. 
Ideally, you'd have a classroom setting using an IT lab, for example, where everyone is invited and you go through every known scenario, having each person work at their own workstations, basically doing identical work, but across multiple scenarios each. Oh, and speaking of scenarios, remember what I said a few minutes ago about the critical importance of having a full and complete set of scenarios for testing? Well, now is not the time to get those in place for testing. That should have been defined already. Have the scenarios loaded and ready to go for the teams when they walk into the lab. You will be amazed at the three things that will happen. One, the implementation and solution vendors will have a realistic content with which to test and pressure the system's functional build sprints. Two, your team will quickly discover where the last minute adjustments or hopefully not major gaps could arrive. Not saying it doesn't happen, even with the most effective and comprehensive project management. And three, your operational stakeholders, supervisors, management, and executives will gain confidence in the capabilities of the new technology and trust in the new processes. That last one is an ultimate validation that this was a great decision. This is the only way that a major TPX implementation will be successful. Anything short of this and you up your risk factor exponentially. And more importantly, this is how you guarantee success. Remember, this topic is change management, and there is no better way to ensure successful transition to an acceptance of the new technology or process than to do what I just suggested. Change management is about creating a safe and happy transition that will accelerate the value of the most complex technology advancements your company can make, an effective and efficient management of trade channel promotion. And that's my two cents. So thanks again for sticking with me for another TradeScope podcast. I appreciate your continued response and I love all the comments. Be sure to check out my other podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to check my website at handpromotion.com. So until the next time, this is Rob Hand saying so long, be strong, be safe, and have a happy week.